Kiber a 16-oson belül, lövés, gól! Gól! Eldölt a mérkőzés! Hello everyone and welcome once again to another episode of the Hungarian Football Podcast. Alongside Thomas Mortimer, I'm your host Chris Barrett and we are back at it with another pandemic edition of the show. Hello Tom. Hello Chris, how's it going? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I feel like I've been spending more time with you and Gabby in recent weeks than with my own family, but um, <laughs> I definitely least... have, seeing as I live alone. <laughs> That's all right. These lockdown podcasts have, have been a lot of fun, though. So, um, however, I, I say lockdown, uh, but we are seeing some movement with numerous leagues coming back online in the last couple of weeks, which has been fun, including Hungary's NB1, of course. There are even signs of life in uh, in Major League Soccer's return to action with some news today that clubs can conduct some small group training sessions. Why is that important, you may ask? Because today we have a very special guest in Sporting KC manager Peter Vermes. Hello, Peter, and welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, having me. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting. Awesome. Well, it has to be brutal sitting around just waiting. Uh, I know it's been a long time for everybody. We had Danny Shalloy on a couple of weeks ago, and he seems ready to go. Are you champing at the bit to get out there as well, Peter? I, I am. I, I um, you know, the, the best the best part of the day is is always when you're out on the field uh, during training or a game. And so everything else is secondary to that. And so the fact that we can't, you know, we haven't been able to do it for quite a while. We've now been in individual workouts for the last few weeks and now we're moving to small group training is a, is a big step in the right direction. And I'm, I'm truly looking forward to starting some games as well. Um, I, I think, you know, I've always, I've always been, uh, uh, even when I was a player, I always enjoyed the preparation for the game, but there's nothing like the game. And so, um, the training's a, a, a good starter, but really playing games is going to be um, a, a welcomed uh, return to, you know, some some real normalcy for for myself, for our staff, for the players, for all of us and the fans as well. Um, it's just it's just about time we get back to um, what we all love doing. And that's and that's uh, playing this game. Yeah, it's it's been fun watching the leagues kind of come back online. Um seeing how communities, teams, uh, the sport in general, just um, almost resurrecting again. And uh, I know that's going to be exciting for a lot of communities in the United States. Uh, Peter, I'd like to go back to the future a little bit, um, way, way back before um, really anything got really big in terms of soccer. I, I remember when I was younger, um, I'm dating myself here, but uh, mid-80s, going into World Cup, 1990 um, in Italy, uh, I remember hearing your name and uh, watching the the U.S. closely as they qualified for the first time since uh, the 50s for the World Cup. And then um, uh, there were a couple of friendlies that year before the World Cup, one of them, which was about five miles from my house uh, near Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, uh, first of all, do you remember playing against Trinidad way back then? I do. Um, <laughs> do you uh, remember scoring? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I, I mean, I. It's funny. I, I always say I got a for the game. I got a hard drive um, in my in my head. Um, if my wife asked me a question, uh, maybe not so much. But if uh, <laughs> for the game and replays of of games and things like that, absolutely. So yeah, I I do remember. I remember that time very well, actually. Wow. Yeah, it was exciting. It was it was really the first time I, I got real excited about um, the sport. I, I was playing and all that. But when the U.S. got into the in, in, into Italy, uh, I was real excited, uh, started really following the team. Your name came up uh, quite a bit. You were a, a leader. You were playing forward back then, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I also remember uh, during the second game against Italy during the World Cup in Rome, you probably had the best chance to score in a really close game. Um, and I'm sure you remember that that play uh, on that free kick. I do. Uh, I always say that if, if I would have scored that goal, um, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'd be somewhere else. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, uh, you know, it's kind of those it's kind of those uh, movies where the the guy who gets up and, 
he's in high school and, you know, bases loaded and, you know, last two outs and he gets thrown the, the pitch and, and I strikes out and then he has a miserable life thereafter. And then, and he, then he hits the home run and he, you know, he hit grand slam and then his life's completely different for me. Um, you know, honestly speaking, I always say that, uh, I'm actually, it's probably best that I missed it because I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be. So it, uh, it, it was an incredible time for me because growing up, um, I was very aware of the soccer world and the world cup was everything, you know, in, at, at, from a soccer player's point of view, but we hadn't been to the world cup in 40 years. And so getting the opportunity to go there, represent, um, our country. And then just think of it this way. You, you're playing in the world cup in the, you know, in Italy against the host country in Rome and you're playing them mm. against them. It was the environment was absolutely electrifying. So tremendous experience, great game for us. Um, we definitely didn't deserve to win the game, uh, even though we lost 1-0. Um, we didn't even deserve to tie the game. They were just a much better team than we were. But we did ourselves, uh, you know, we were respectful. We did ourselves proud in that game to, to and, I, and I normally wouldn't say this, but to lose 1-0 against that team, was actually a, a good result um, just because they're that much better than us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really did shock a lot of us who were watching that game, especially after being crushed by um, in the first game. But, uh, you know, you have done really well for yourself, though, because uh, after that, I know that you, you, you bounced around a little bit. And when the uh, MLS uh, Major League Soccer got started in 96, I think you you jumped in and really one of the one of the first players uh, in the first year of that league and then played through uh 2002 and then um uh started your managing career you've been with uh sporting kc i guess since 2009 uh you've won three conference championships uh you won it all in in 20 uh 13 is that right 2013 correct three u.s open cups um you made it to the Concacaf champions league semis last year after um, a really exciting quarterfinal with Independiente. Um, it's been a really great career for you, wouldn't you say? Oh, I've been very fortunate uh, in the game, um, both as a player and now as a manager. I've been, yeah, I've had nothing but uh, tremendous amount of experiences, and um, yeah, I've been very lucky. And I, and I will say that um, you know, I, I, I won, I won as a player, and I've won as a coach, and. And, you know, I was asked this question uh, last week. What's the difference between the two things? And I said, the one thing that's not different with either is that um, I am not a complacent type person. Like I, I don't rest on something that I've done or I continue to keep striving forward and try to, you know, uh, continue to try to achieve success. But if, if in my playing career I never would have won, um, say, the MLS Cup, I would have felt that my – career would have been a disappointment um my national team career if i never would have won the gold cup which i did and i was captain of the team at the time in 91 again i never would have felt that my uh my career or qualifying for the olympics or the world cup i just would have felt there would have been it would have been a disappointment and so the same for my managerial career you know i, I think at the end of the day i've always been about one thing in my professional life and that's winning and I think that that is uh, the most important thing at this level, and that is you, you, you play to win. Um, and if you're not, I think you're you're coming up short always. And so uh, I've always I always say to our team every year, we have three competitions that uh, we have a chance to win something from, get a trophy from. And so our objective is to try to win at least one, if not all three. And uh, when you don't win something that year, it's a, to me, it's an incredibly disappointing year. And you got to work so hard the next year to try to, again, win another trophy. And our club has been very competitive. And when you look at us um, in and amongst uh, the, other, the other MLS teams and the markets that we come up against and the kind of money that they can spend in comparison to what we can, um, we've been very competitive over the years. And that's going to continue to be our our uh, objective moving forward. 
on the face of it, Peter, your resume, especially in the early days, seems very random. Um, you obviously were like at New Jersey, went to Hungary, went to Holland, went to Spain. How important do you think that random um, cultural experience was was in grounding you as a person and as a and as a coach and a player? So it's a good question, a really good question. First of all, completely different time period. You also got to remember, I was I was here in the United States, and when I was growing up, the North American Soccer League, the NASL, was huge. I mean, we had we had honestly, we had, probably had some of the best soccer in the world in the in the uh, late 70s um, early 80s it was incredible we had some of the, we had by far we probably had the best players in the world at one time um, we had everybody here Pelé, Beckenbauer, Cabanas I mean you, you name we had everybody and I used to watch all those games and then what happened was when that went away we really did not have a real professional high level pr- presence in this country um, really until Major League Soccer uh, came um, to fruition. And so if you really wanted to play at a high level, you would have to go and try your way overseas. So I, I got a little bit um, fortunate in that I was playing with the Olympic team, went to a to a, uh, a tournament in Lille, France, before the Olympics. And um, we were playing in this tournament there, and uh, in the final we played um, – uh, we, you know, we played a game against French club Lille and we won two, one, I scored the game winner and I was coming off the field. And, uh, this person said to me in Hungarian, he said, uh, he said, you know, he said it in Hungarian, he basically said, Hey, you know, you know, do you speak Hungarian? You know, remember the best is And I, and I, and I, I, uh, I said, yeah. And, and he, it's not like today. You know, it was totally different um, coming off the field, but he was inside kind of like between the, where the locker rooms were. And he said, can I talk to you? I said, well, let me go take a shower. And when I come out, I'll talk to you. And so I talked to him. He told me he lives in Belgium, um, but he's an agent. And he would love to bring me over to to Europe after the, the Olympics. And I was like, well, that's great because that's what I would love to do. And I was talking with some other people. And so I got to know this guy. And um, anyway, my the objective was I was going to go to uh, standard Liège for a, an official tryout. And it just so happened that he said, Hey, why don't we go for like two to three weeks to Hungary and let's, um, you'll, I know a club really well there. Um, Rob Eto and Dürer. And he said, you know, we'll go, we'll go, you go there, train here for two to three weeks, just kind of get into the pace and the rhythm of the game. Cause it's going to be different for you. And then we'll go to the tryout. This way it'll give you a much better opportunity to show yourself. And, you know, the details, the story is actually really good. I don't want to bore you guys with it. The story is good and how I got there. But at the end of the day, I signed there. And then, as you said, then eventually I went to uh, Holland the next the next uh, year. And uh, and then I went to Spain thereafter. And those those experiences were tremendous for me. Um, what I would tell you is, is that I have, you can tell, I mean, you uh, you can tell by my managerial career, um, I am a I'm a very uh, uh, loyal, uh, stick to the same club type of person. Um, I'm not the kind that sits there and says, well, listen, our team's not very good, so let me go to another team that's good so that I can win. I'm here to try to help the team get better so we can win, right? And same thing in my managerial career uh, as I've been here. It's 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 always been that way for me, but the stops along the way were indicative of the time and also the fact that I was coming from America um, trying to make it. I mean, I was the first American player to ever play regularly in, in Division One in Europe. Uh, nobody had done it up until that point. And so it was it was uh, it was an interesting time for me. But the experiences are, I always say, not just my playing experiences, but also you know, um, uh, you know, the different clubs that I actually played for and the living experiences that I had are what shaped me um, into who I am today, obviously, along with my parents. But those experiences have been tremendous, uh, um, you know, for me and in the way that I conduct myself around my team with the players, staff and everyone. Amazing. So your move to Jaw, 
do you have Hungarian citizenship then? Because obviously Hungary was under communism at that time. Was, was there any um, difficulties or anything kind of moving there? No, it was really, it's, it's again, a really good question because it was. It was still it was still under communism at the time when I was there. And But I had been going, so you understand, since 1976, I believe, was the first time uh, I went back with my mom and dad. And it was the first time my dad and mom went back as well from when they left in 56. And that was a big moment for them because my dad was actually very nervous about it. Um, because he had, he was a revolutionist. He was fighting against the Russians and then him and my mom escaped in 56. And so he wasn't sure going back, you know, could they somehow, you know, keep him in the country? And so I remember that, and I was really young, but I remember mom and dad talking about this and he had, he had gone, uh, to, uh, New York, to the American, uh, he had gone to the embassy to speak and find out what, what would be his recourse if somehow, something happened. And the fact that he had his American citizenship, him and my mom, that they had certain rights going to the country. So he felt very comfortable. But then again, I think he was still, you know, a little bit, he had a little trepidation going into the country when we first went there. But what, what I was getting to is that we had gone after that from 76 and on, you know, almost every year we went back each summer and we would go for at least a month. And I would then train with Homevade um, because my dad was a player from Homevade. And so I would train with their academy, with their young teams. And so it was a great experience for me. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was doing that on a regular basis, uh, growing up. Yeah. I'm glad you just spoke about your dad there. Cause I've got a question. I've got a question on that. Um, is, is it true that you Dad played with Ferenc Pushkash in, he did. in like the yeah, in the fifties and stuff. He yeah. did. So he played at Homevade and Pushkash was there at the time. My dad was obviously really young because my dad and mom when they escaped, my dad was twenty three. So he was already playing for the club when he was much younger, and and Ferenc Pushkash was there. And so when we were growing up, I have two two older brothers as well, and I have a sister. And so my brothers played soccer too. And my dad used to tell us all these stories about Pushkash, 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 and we used to hear them all the time. And after a while. We were like, okay, okay, you know, uh, you know, enough already. And after a while, you start to think, does it? You know, as I got older, because I was really into the game, um, and I had read books um, about him, I had read different things, uh, whatever I could find, or read about him in the Olympics. And so um, he came, Pushkash came to the United States on a on a tour, and he was going back then. He used to have. Um, used to have clubs within the bigger cities, uh, not all the bigger cities, but in, in cities, you had these ethnicities. And so like Philadelphia had the German Hungarian club, they had the Hungarian club. And these were, when I, when they, when they were called the club, they were, it was like a, a, a nonprofit 501c3 organization that owned this land. A lot of times they had, you know, a building on it that had, um, like a restaurant, it had a bar, they had soccer fields, they had their own little club that people would play soccer at and all those things. And what happened was all of these clubs in and around, especially like from, you know, basically uh, uh, on the east side of the Mississippi, all of these clubs basically got together, put in a bunch of money and, and paid for him to come to the United States. And then he had all these places that he was going to tour and stop by for, you know, like a day and a half or whatever, each place. And then he would you know, have dinner there. He'd meet people and all these kind of stuff. And he got paid to do it. And so he was a lot older. And anyway, so he was coming to the club that we, because I lived in Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey, very close to Philadelphia. And so in Philadelphia, we belonged to the Hungarian club. And uh, my dad actually still played, you know, on a men's league team there. My brothers played, I played, we played within the kind of the system of the club. And so uh, supposedly Pushkash was coming there. And me and my brothers are like, oh, you know, let's see if this is real. And so my dad told us um, when he was when he was a player um, that he had a nickname and they used to call him the crow because uh, the translation is a crow. They used to call him the crow because he was kind of like the scavenger. He was like... Uh, he was a, a hard player. He was always really fit. Um, 
and and you know the the that was the nickname he had. So anyway, we we get to the we get to the club. We come into the dining room in the restaurant, and there's Pushkash sitting there uh, at one of the tables, and he's kind of facing where people walk in at. And so we come in. My dad stops, and me and my brothers are with my dad, and he's he's kind of squinting his eyes a little bit. And my dad's probably about oh about I don't know 15 feet away. And he called my dad by his nickname, which was, which blew us all away because we thought he was, you know, we thought he was giving us good stories. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> so it was, it was actually pretty cool. It was actually. Cool. That's amazing. Um, great, great story. So, 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 so just to go off of that, um, about. So that was an that was uh yeah I can't remember when that was it was probably in the late 70s probably was when he came over maybe early early 80s at the best but you know late 70s so imagine this um in 90 I think it was 91 or 92 I was with the U.S. national team and we went to uh, Japan and we played in the Kirin Cup you're in the beer and hungry was in the game hungry was in the tournament but they were in the other bracket and uh, uh pushkash came as sort of like a ambassador and i saw him again there and we talked um uh you know at, at one of the hotels it was it was incredible it was great he was wow, he was uh so cool. he was an interesting guy and, and he and i I, I, I told him, you know, I, I, I tried to remind him about, and he remember he remembered, uh, he remembered, you know, uh, the, the, the time he was there at that, uh, the Hungarian club in Philadelphia and, and he remembered my dad and everything. It was actually pretty neat. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. Peter, you painted a really good picture of the U S soccer landscape between the North American soccer league and the start of uh, major league soccer. Um, and really, even the start of MLS was kind of fragile in the beginning. Now getting into its 25th season, I mean, who would have thought, right? It looks like U.S. soccer is gearing up to really make a push to develop players with uh, new youth leagues planned and uh, et cetera. Uh, the capture of Danny Shalloway a few years back, developing him through Swope Park and, and getting him into the first team really turned out to be a great move. Do you feel like MLS is really poised to be a league that can develop top talent in the near future? I, I do. I do. You know, one of the tough things, first off, in sports in general, um, you know, nobody ever, the worst, you know, the worst word you can say in sports is time, right? Because everybody wants it right now. They want their team to be a champion. They don't want to wait, you know, three, four years to rebuild. So it's, so saying that I need some time is a, is a, is a, is a you know, it's a curse word. Um, at the same time, as you state, we're going on our 25th year. We have come a long way in a short period of time in this in this league and in this country. And soccer has a real foothold. Um, you know, kids are playing it more so than ever before. Um, our, our stadiums are full. I mean, you can see the 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 depth of enthusiasm for the game in the country. The other side of it, though, is that when you compare us to, let's say, you know, clubs in Europe. They have been at the youth development for, I would say, you know, 50, 70 years on average. And we just started this really our youth development aspect in 2007 with the induction of academies and have to, having to have two teams and so on. And to be really honest, we, we, we took a big step probably about five years ago as a league and you started to see real investment into uh, the academies in MLS. And right now we're at a, a completely different place. And I would say that we have made incredible strides in such a short period of time. And I always said that the United States, that they're uh, the biggest place that we had deficiencies was, was coaching and especially at the youth level. Um, we weren't, we, we, we didn't have a systematic way of developing players. But I think now when you look and you have this advent of, you know, uh, real serious focus and concentration on 
the development of players. With that comes education of coaches, um, comes the building out of staffs and providing the support system that players need, um, having the facilities that you can actually then go in and train and create create the environment that players need to develop. And, and adding all those pieces, and we've been doing that. And so what I'll tell you is, is that I would say you for sure are going to see some real strong players coming out of the United States in in very large numbers, um, because I do think that we are on the right track. I just think that, you know, at times people have been a little bit unfair, maybe in the assessment um, and very critical of the fact that, you know, uh, uh, maybe we haven't developed enough players yet. But I think that also comes with creating the foundation. And I think we've done that. Um, you look at our league, we're going to be 30 teams in this league soon enough, and all of them will have youth academies, which continues to provide a true pro player pathway to the first team. And um, I just think that you're going to continue to see high quality players come out year after year after year. And, and you also can see that, you know, there's maybe not everyone, but a lot of MLS teams are now starting to give those young players, the opportunity to grow and develop and become uh, real impactful pro players within their first team, which is, you know, the real steps towards not only developing players, but eventually um, being in the marketplace for those players to continue to move on to, you know, different opportunities. It doesn't necessarily mean they're better. It just means that they're different opportunities, which I think also helps a player to kind of shape who they are and who they become. And so, um, I think we're definitely in the right direction on that on that front. You um, also have had, obviously, you being Hungarian descent and having those ties with your family. Um, we've seen players like Christian Nemeth, um, Barat, Shalloway coming through the club. Uh, do you feel like you have a leg up against maybe some other teams and maybe taking a look at uh, or drawing talent from from Europe, Eastern Europe? Um. I don't know if it's a leg up. I would say maybe because of my own personal experience, because of my uh, ethnicity, um, I'm probably a little bit more open to going and look at those players and understanding the value. Um, you know, there's I when, whenever Hungarian players come to the team, um, I always tell them that, uh, and it was no different for me when I went to Hungary. I'll, or Spain or, or Holland. I, I always tell them that um, first, you have a, a an incredible responsibility as a foreign player first. But you have to realize that you have an even bigger responsibility because if you want to provide more opportunities for Hungarian players in the future, then you have to make sure that when you come here, that you represent yourself and your nationality in the most respectful way, because it will determine whether or not another guy's getting an opportunity to come here or in another team in the league. And so it's important for players to realize that because I'm look, I'm I'm uh, I'm very astute when it comes to understanding the the culture and the environment that is in Hungary and, and how sometimes there's you know, players can uh, players can get really deep into and it's, and it's not just hungry, but it's a lot of teams that were, you know, in that neck of the, the woods when it was Yugoslavia, but now Serbia and Croatia and Kosovo and whatever, you, you know, the Czech Republic and all that stuff. You a lot of those players were always deemed as, you know, complainers and and, you know, always, always, always have an excuse and, and that was a stereotype that was put on a lot of those players. And, and I, I tend to believe that you can find players everywhere. And what you have to do is, number one, is you have to provide a good environment. But the other is, is that I think all athletes, all athletes love structure and discipline. The question is, is the organization, the club, is it willing to provide the structure and discipline? And is it also, uh, does it also have the guts to uphold it? Um, especially when somebody tries to um, chip away at it, disrespect it. And those are the important aspects. And so 
for me, I think Hungarian players uh, in a whole are very technical. I think they have a good understanding of the game. But I think sometimes they lack what I would call the intestinal fortitude sometimes. They don't have that toughness that you see from other countries to fight through the tough situations because it's this idea that it's supposed to be given to me. It's I, I'm entitled to it. And but the interesting things is things the interesting part of it is is that when you find the players that don't think that way, or you find a player is not sure which way he should think, and then you can convince them that this is the way it this is the way you got to go about your profession. Um, it's amazing what they can achieve. I, I really I really mean that. They they have the ability, have the quality of being really really high level players, and so. Uh, part of it is maybe understanding a little bit of that culture and that uh, environment. But I think the other thing is, a, as, as a manager, um, whether it's Hungary or any other country, you also have to be open to understand that people uh, people need a little time and people ha- you have to give people the opportunity to grow a little bit as well. Because just coming into a situation and all of a sudden thinking that they're going to be successful from day one is is, is very unrealistic. Um, they need to be provided with um, the assistance, the advice, the roadmap, um, the environment, the structure, the discipline. They, they need that if they're going to get there. And so um, at the same time, when you provide all that stuff, it's also really easy to assess whether or not a player has the aptitude or the potential to actually flourish in an environment like that. Um, and so it goes hand in hand. But I do think there's a lot of really good quality players in Hungary. Yeah, when you speak about mentality, it, it, it strikes such a chord um, with me. And we've discussed that mentality uh, in comparison to like to the likes of Serbia, Croatia, quite a lot on this pod in the past. Um, how much how much football how much Hungarian football do you actually watch? Then do you do you keep up to date with it quite a lot? So so what I do is that you know I mean my my role. My role has changed over the years. So, you know, prior to you said 2009, I actually been here since 2006. I've just been also coaching. I've been the sporting director since 2006 uh, in December of 2006. So I've been the sporting director and the, and the manager since 2009. Um, and so my role has evolved, right? When in those early years, I was doing everything from scouting, uh, you know, identifying the talent, signing the talent, you know, negotiating a contract, signing the contract with the player and his agent to, you know, then eventually, you know, running the team and doing all that. And so over time, things have evolved. And what what we've what I've done is is uh, created a maybe a little bit of a different type of uh, what most would say a scouting uh, department in our club. Uh, I, I call ours a, and, and it's not to be different, but it has a much different de- definition. And that is um, we, we call our, our, our name of our department is TID, T-I-D. It's an acronym for talent identification, um, uh, department, um, and directors. And, and so what that really entails, is not just a guy that can go out to a game and, and either scout a player or scout the game and come back with information on it or go to a game and then tell me who the best player is, but it's more, it's much more involved in that because we play a certain way, um, I'm only looking for certain players um, that have certain qualities. And so I have very specific positional characteristics that I'm looking for by position. Um, I'm also looking for very specific characteristics of the person. Um, and, And with that being said, so we have people that are, instead of being here in Kansas City, we have people that are actually in and around the world that has some connection back to our club or our league or me personally. Um, and they all have to have the ability to be more than just a person, again, that just watches a game and can say, hey, this was a good player or this is the way this team's played. I need people that know how to find out the, the details, the, um, uh, the interest, intricate aspects of the player. How does he train? How does he deal with you know, uh, you know, tough moments. Uh, I, I want to know all those things and to, to, to find people that can do that, they have to have their skill set has to be much different. So 
the other thing is is that you can find a, you can find a great player, but maybe they don't want to play in Major League Soccer. Maybe they want to play for Kansas City. Uh, you know, maybe they only have one goal, right? And and so all of those things are important to the um, uh, to the uh, successful um, execution of contracting a player to your team. And so when you when you ask me that question, absolutely, I follow I follow the league, I follow I follow things that are going on all over the world. But we've also concentrated our kind of our aim to certain countries and certain areas of the world because we feel that um, those places can provide us with the type of players that we're looking for or it's very position specific also in certain countries like certain countries we're only we're only looking at certain positions um, because we feel that you know they develop you know a certain position in the way that we play which fits the way that uh, uh, you know we're looking for players that meet those positional characteristics we were talking about and so um, I also use a strong network of people that I've gotten to know or played with over the years and I'll use them as part of that assessment but we have you know a strong contingent of these TIDs, these talent identification directors around the world that we we rely on heavily, um, which has helped immensely in in you know finding players that nobody else is looking at. Great, and um, you mentioned your loyalty at, at, um, earlier in the pod. I'm going to ask a very abstract and hypothetical question now, um, but after listening to you speak, especially about Hungarian culture. And and just about football in general, I'm sure a lot of Hungarian people would be listening to this and think, "Oh man, I'd love to see this guy as Hungary manager." Do you think that's I would that be of interest for you in your career? Do you have I, any um, ambitions and goals in that kind of in that kind of regard? So, you know, this this isn't the first time this has been brought to brought up to me, and uh, what I would say to you is there's. Uh, some people have reached out to me before about about this topic, and what I'd say to you is is that um, it's it's a it's a really difficult question because of this, and that is I've never been a, a, a you know a, a safe guy, you know, a guy that only wants to do the safe thing. It's it's not it's really not my personality. Um, I'm more of the guy that's willing to take the risks and things like that. But I'm also a very uh, calculated person. And, and what I mean by that is, is that I think any time, I don't care if it's being a manager, a sporting director, a, a CEO of, an org, of, a, of, a, of a company, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's all the same, right? And for me, it is. Because it's the same thing always comes down to this. When someone comes to you and talks about talks to you about a project, or this is for me at least, I look at it like this. I want to know a couple things. I want to know what their objectives are. I want to understand how they see me fitting into to this project, what they uh, think that I can do for them to accomplish, you know, whatever the objectives they've set out, and then I also want to know what resources they're either providing to me, what type of authority or decision-making power do I have? And so I want to know a lot of things because if there's something that I I can uh, illustrate really simple, when you're a player and you're playing on the team and, uh, and you win, you win, you win a championship, you have your impact in that in that journey in that accomplishment um but you really are focused on your job no doubt you help your teammates here and there on the field or whatever but you're focused on yourself and your job when you're the manager of a team of a club you when you win a championship there's a difference between the two and it's immense and that is you're you're overseeing everything right you're you're making sure all the parts fit together 
and you have and, and if and if and a few of those parts don't fit together, I can tell you this right now, more than likely you're not winning. And so when you do, it's such an incredible satisfaction because you know what it really took to pull all of that together and and to have everybody still single focus to be winning that championship. And so I would say the same thing about any job that would come my way. Yeah, absolutely. I would be it would be first off an honor. It would be exciting. Um, all those things. But I wouldn't take the job if if I didn't understand those things. I, I wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even contemplate the job if I wasn't provided with understanding uh, those things, because I want one very specific aspect in 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 any uh job that I take. And that's this. I want the ability to know what my decision making uh, authority is, because when I know that, then I know that I can stand and look at myself in the mirror at the end and know that either I succeeded or failed based on me and what I wanted. I could never, ever work for a club, uh, a national team, if I was had very limited uh, decision making because it just wouldn't work for me. Um, I want to stand on myself. If, if I make a if I make a sub, I want to know that that sub is is my decision. And it's something I've had to learn as a manager, even even with my staff. I I, I spend so much time listening to my staff. Um, you know. I'm a big believer that, you know, two heads are better than one, three are better than two, so on and so forth. But at the same time, no one on my staff has the same full picture vision that I have for the club or the team. Um, not because they're not capable. It's just different when you're the head person. And so I am constantly connecting all pieces of the game together, um, all pieces of the club together. And I want that ability to, again, make those decisions because it's like fitting a, It's like building a, it's like putting a puzzle together. Um, and if, and if I'm the only one that has uh, the pieces, then, you know, again, I'm the only one that can, you know, finish it. And so I, I, I need that, ability to do that. And so whether it's Hungarian national team or anything else, I would need that kind of um, uh, understanding of what the project looked like and, and how I actually fit into it. And that's great stuff, Peter. We, we had Gabor Kirai on the show, uh, I guess just last week or just over a week ago. And I, I really think I'm, I'm probably speaking for Tom here. I really think it would be a dream to have you leading the national team and with the, uh, with Kirai there uh, with you, but uh, but honestly, um, if I'm being selfish, being an American and being here, I'd also like to see you in the U.S. national team equation as well. Has that been something you've ever been uh, approached to you? Yeah, look, uh, there was a a a very uh, preliminary conversation um, with me, uh, but it was very evident that what I just spoke to. Was not going to be the case, and I, I, it was, it, it was an easy decision. Um, I, I love what I do here at the club because um, I have an incredible relationship with the ownership group here. Um, you know, I, I've always, I have a, I have a saying um, here in my office, and and the set, and the saying says, "I'm too busy working on my own grass." To notice if yours is is greener, and <laughs> you know, I'm not a I'm not a guy that's always thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else. I just am not. Um, I, I'm here trying to make this the the, the greenest grass uh, you know anybody's ever seen, and so it, it's one of the reasons why I've been here as long as I have because you know I you 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 started the question out by asking me uh, the, the question before this one about I had said the word loyalty. I'll be honest with you. I never, I never use that word. I never use that word because I've always been under the opinion that that word is normally used in two situations. It's used when you're getting fired and it's used when you want to, when you, when you go into your boss and you ask for more money. 
When you're getting fired, you say, how can you fire me? I've been so loyal. When you're when you want more money, you go and say, God, I've worked so hard for you. Uh, you got to give me more money because I'm so loyal. I just believe that loyalty comes with what you do. And so um, I use that word in saying that I'm loyal in that. I took I, I accepted. You know, I was asked uh, I, I I was asked to take this job. I was invited to take it. I took it. And now I think it's my obligation to be committed to it and to do the best I possibly can in every facet that I can. And so it's it's something that I think is maybe not prevalent in in sports, especially because you see a lot of managers, coaches, whatever you want to call them. There's a lot of mercenaries out there. Um, and that's a different way to do it. Right. You go and you coach a coach a club for a year or two and you move on to the next. Um, and I'm not criticizing it. I'm, I'm just stating a, a point. And my point really is, is that for me, um, there's no reason for me to leave where I'm at when it's to me at the moment, it's the, the it's got the greenest grass I've ever seen. And I'm going to continue to try and keep it that way. That's great. I, and I've got a, um, I've got a daughter that lives outside of Kansas, uh, Kansas city. And, um, I, I, you know, for you staying there as long as you can, I don't think anybody can doubt your dedication. Uh, obviously, you've developed a great relationship with the club and the community, uh, the players. Um, and um, I, I like visiting. I don't know if I'd want to stay there as long as you have. But uh, um, but obviously, you, you've done such a great job with the club. Um, and um, it, it's been really great to hear your strategy for talent acquisition, your experience, uh, your philosophy on the game, Peter. Um, wh- what do you see just short term going into this season? What would you consider um, just in terms of the MLS and sporting Kansas City as just being a win for this sport there? Yeah, I think I think, look, obviously, this is a uh, uh, in just a completely different time than none of us have ever, you know, experienced and probably never thought we would have. And here we are sitting in it now. And so uh, what I would say is, is that I think um, getting a chance to, you know, a return to actually playing games, uh, if we could get somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 20 to 25 games um, accomplished by each team and then having a playoffs um, from there and then eventually getting to a place where by the end of the season, we're back to opening up our, our stadiums and playing games would uh, I think that's a win. Um, I really do. I think it's a big win doing it in a, in a, in a, in a smart way, uh, you know, because I think there's two pieces, obviously there's the, the virus itself. And then the other piece is the, is making sure that the, there's a safety level for the players because you can't just all of a sudden throw them back on the field with, without proper preparation, uh, to play a game of soccer. I mean, it's, you know, it's a look, it's a 90 minute match. It's it's a, it's a very uh, demanding game physically. And you have to make sure that you're prepared to be able to meet the demands of the game. And so I would you know, my biggest thing is making sure that the players are are uh, trained properly, prepared properly. But I but I do believe that that would be what I would believe. Forget about wins and losses and all those other things. I think that would be this is more than just an individual club. Now, this is us getting back to and I. You know, I, I, I kind of thought about it one day and, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I want to get back to normalcy and I actually want to get back to a better life than I had before. So that's what we should be striving for is having something better than what we had before and not not getting back to normalcy, but getting back to something better. And hopefully um, we do that together. And, and then and then, you know, we start the next season off with uh, with, uh, you know, hopefully a really big bang because it, it, it's about time. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of sitting around. <laughs> yeah, you and us both. Well, thanks again, Peter, for your for your time. We're coming to the end of um, of the show here, but uh, for for your candid answers, insight into the game globally, globally, we um, we really wish you the best moving forward um, with your family, with Sporting KC, with your future, and um, and hope that you continue to thrive on and off the field. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you. És indul Szalai, és vissza lehet tenni Kleinhezslenek, és újra Szalainak, és ott a gól a helyzet, és a gól, és a gól! Szalai vezet Magyarország! 550 nap után be lehet az piszkálni, pöckölni, tuckolni! Egy ide!
<sighs> that was amazing. Um, I particularly loved when he talked about um, when it, when he answered about becoming hungry manager and the depth he went into about how he thinks that things need to be in the right position before he takes over. I think that's I think that's just the, the sign of a smart football man, a smart football manager. I mean, I don't know what you thought, Chris. Yeah, I agree. I feel like he's already run up against a wall with that on the U.S. national team, and I can't imagine him having what he wants with Hungary, but who's to say at this point? He definitely knows what he wants, and that's what I really liked hearing uh, was just a manager that knows what he wants going to the future. He won't just take any job, and um, I loved also hearing about his his, uh, global talent acquisitional strategy, too. That was really really kind of a, a surprise, I think, for this. Yeah, really was. And just overall, he was just a really good storyteller. Um, some of the stories about um, uh, his gra- his dad and push cash and stuff. Amazing, really. Um, I'd just like to give a shout out to Yankee Foxy, who um, provided with us with a couple of questions and a lot of help. You should check out his blog. It's uh, yankeefoxy.blog.who. Um, and he's also on Twitter at Yankee Foxy. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to Gabby who couldn't join us tonight but provided us with a couple of good questions which we um, sent to Peter and apologies for the Twitter people who we didn't use questions of we, we kind of got caught up in the um, in the storm of the whole chat I mean it was an amazing chat and we um, yeah we were kind of a bit starry eyed so apologies for that yeah we did but uh, um, we really love for you to follow us here on Magyar Fokai Live on Twitter, uh, also HungarianFootball.com. Um, Thomas on Twitter is Thomas with a Z Mortimer, and I am Crusader120. As usual, we are glad that you uh, stopped by to listen, and uh, we look forward to talking to you all again soon. <laughs> Stay safe and uh, keep listening to the podcast.